Press's Play. Hey everyone, and welcome to Girl Press's Play, the movie podcast where we talk about films, what we think about them, and what makes them so damn great. I'm your host, Alana Rafferty. Get comfy, grab some popcorn, and get ready, because we're about to press play. And now for our feature presentation. Hello, wonderful listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Girl Press's Play. Today, we are grabbing our Tang and our spacesuits and our ZZ plants. I will post a link about why I mentioned that plant. And we are heading to space, where superheroes have laser guns and green alien ladies are femme fatales. And there's a whole bunch of other weird and wonderful stuff that can happen because space. So what does make space such a ripe setting for superhero stories? We're going to find out today with our special guest, Colin Lieberg. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy our trip through our episode, Superheroes in Space, where we take a look at 1980s Flash Gordon, directed by Mike Hodges, and 2014's Guardians of the Galaxy, directed by James Gunn. It's an attack! Pathetic Earthlings! Who can save you now? Let's all team up and fight him. He is a screenwriter and producer at Cobalt Night. Due to living abroad and feeling out of place, Colin Lieberg writes about outsiders struggling to fit in. A very fitting theme for this episode, actually. He has a background in academia, management, marketing, and retail that all inform his characters and stories. For the past two years, he has run a monthly virtual happy hour Zoom mixer to chat and connect with friends old and new. Ladies and gentlemen and aliens, please welcome to the show, Colin Lieberg. Hello, sir. How are you? Uh, Thanks for having me, Alana. I am doing well. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Let's get started with these very hard-hitting questions about (laughs) very important things. Space! So hard. He's so serious. Nothing is more serious than space. Uh, that's it is the final frontier after all. So, it is. You know. no, that's very true. I think, you know, you actually made me think of a good point that I have yet to see, other than Star Wars, I have yet to see like a very serious space movie, if that makes sense. I mean, in some respects, Star Trek, some of them are very serious space movies. Yeah. Some that's of them. Not that they're like cheaply made or like have flimsy plot lines or anything but just in terms of like the tone and the vibe it's hard to find like nope i lied alien alien is oh totally yeah yeah (laughs) gravity deadly serious forget i said any of that we can edit that out we'll edit that out post (laughs) yeah we'll deal with that in post we'll deal with that in post but today we are talking about some very fun space movies flash gordon and 2014's guardians of the galaxy so I found, Colin, that these movies have very distinctive intergalactic flavors, and they have a stronger flavor of that than, for example, Superman, which does take place in space, partially on the planet Krypton, but isn't really about space. What do you think makes Flash Gordon and Guardians so distinctive in kind of the canon of notable superhero films? I think part of it is, as you said, like, a lot of the other space films either don't take place in space, like Superman, sure, he's from Krypton, but he lives on Earth, and that's where most of the 
story takes place and he just happens to be an alien or mm-hmm. other kind of campy space movies um, either take place a lot on Earth or, or they're all like weird robot aliens and you're like, well, it's a robot alien. We don't care that much. But these have like humans. Guardians of the Galaxy have, have this weird, uh, interesting human as the, the main component. And in some respects, they're both trying to like get home and get in touch with their humanity. Yeah, I think that's a very good point is that like in Superman, for example, he's very much the odd one out. Whereas in Flash Gordon and Guardians of the Galaxy, there is something about the fact that like they're the outsiders in this very alien society and everyone's kind of just expecting them to understand what goes on and adjust to them, um, which is really interesting. And I think especially with Guardians, and you actually do see this a little bit in Flash Gordon, there is a little bit of this people from such different backgrounds coming together for a larger cause, which is oddly touching. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. It's like in both of them, they have similar, this kind of roguelike hero who, uh, for lack of a better term, not the smartest person in the room, uh, but oddly charismatic and people kind of go towards him uh, for some reason or another. Uh, He's, he manages to gather a disparate group of characters together and, for a greater cause than himself and sometimes involving dancing and you know it's so interesting that i tried googling all over the place guardians of the galaxy flash gordon just to see if there was any mention of the fact or the idea slash possibility that james gunn was partially inspired by flash gordon when he was making guardians of the galaxy and i couldn't find anything And I find that so strange because even though their styles in some ways are very different, to me, they are also so similar, especially when I think especially Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 has like a lot of Flash Gordon vibes going on, like really weird, really colorful when What's-Her-Face Elizabeth Debicki's character is just like all painted in gold in this giant blue room. I was like, that's very Flash Gordon. And it's weird that there's not a lot of like connection or kind of published connection between the two of them possibly i i didn't get a lot of flash gordon sense uh, in part because flash gordon feels very campy to me mm-hmm. and and guardians like it's playful and fun but it takes itself a little seriously like it's not it's not a b movie from the 60s where you know uh, we're coming to kill you take us to your leader or even yeah, Mars yeah. Attacks, which is like a flat-out comedy. Like, there's still some sort of seriousness to it. There's, I, I, it's a Marvel film, so you know it's not completely serious. There is some sort of levity, and there's obviously grand stakes involved. Of, you know, will humanity survive, especially in the second one? But Camp uh, Flash Gordon is just super campy, and I, I was reading an article about it of the Italian producer when he was making it didn't understand the humor, so he wanted it to be played completely dramatic and straight and and all the actors are like yeah this is a horrible line uh this is obviously a joke so we're laughing and and the producer didn't understand why everyone was laughing that's hilarious but that also makes sense especially for characters like the prince that timothy dalton plays if you need a movie (laughs) where ridiculous things are happening and you need a really good like straight character timothy dalton is gonna be your guy like between this hot fuzz it's a little more dramatic but like penny dreadful where he's finding dracula and you know teaming up with the wolfman or whatever like he will just play it just the right amount of straight but also add a little bit of that yeah it's okay like 
almost an insider. I know I have, I know, I know I'm having fun. Don't worry. Yeah. He, he does that character very well. And, and even as his bond, uh, the, the one bond he was mm-hmm. in, like that is a straight character who's got to have some humor. Cause I mean, he's bond. Yeah. I, that's one of the few, okay. This is a terrible thing to admit. I've only seen two bonds in my entire life. <laughs> I've seen gold member and you only die twice. I think those are the two bonds I've seen. So I've never seen any of the others. <laughs> so I, I mean, will have to take your word for the Timothy Dalton bond movies. He's only in, I think one and there's 27 bond movies now, oh 26. So, you know, there's a lot to see. So, you know, it's a lot of time. And in some respects, they're all kind of the same. Bond gets into some situation that only he can solve. There's a woman involved that he seduces and things blow up. Yeah, it kind of seems like it. And we were doing, when I watched them, my friends and I were doing a double feature. And I wonder if that's why I fell asleep during You Only Die Twice. Because it kind of felt exactly the same as Goldmember, but basically in Japan instead of like a beautiful tropical island. But anyway, suffice to say, every other Timothy Dalton performance I've seen, he's always just been like 90% dead serious and 10%, oh, it's okay, I'm having fun. But that's so interesting about the Italian producer. And I think like, I don't know, I feel like in a lot of 70s films, there wasn't really a lot of that hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge humor that Marvel is so Mm -hmm. known for that kind of self-referential like in guardians of the galaxy where he just starts dancing and everyone's trying to figure out what the hell he's doing i feel like if there was maybe a little bit more of that in the original flash gordon people would have been able to kind of jump on board with it instead of just like critically panning it when it came out yeah i i think knowing the tone it was going for would have helped because Again, mm-hmm. some people wanted it to be very serious and some people wanted it to be very comedic. And if it had been a straight comedy, like it, I think would have been a super hilarious comedy because it's, it's ripe with comedy, comedic situations. If you've got bird people, you've got a guy who lives on a, in a wooded area that has some sort of um, creature that stings you when you die. And like, it's... It, it's kind of funny. And even the seduction is kind of funny in Flash Gordon, at least. Yeah. Even just the amount of, I don't even, I don't know if you can call them costumes or not, but I think of like the bird people, there's that tribe where their prince is killed in front of them right in the beginning. And the kind of like weird seventies Darth Vader. And I think at one point they shoot him and his like whole body melts or something. Something. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right that if there was a little more comedy, I think people would have gotten on board with it a little bit more. I don't know. Did you find it hard to dislike the movie, if that makes sense? Because when I was watching it, I found it very, very hard to like strongly dislike the film. It was hard to find more than one thing that I really, really didn't like. I will say I wasn't okay with the, it seems like yellow face that they were doing with Max von Sydow's Emperor Ming, let's just put that out there. Yellow face, cultural appropriation, <laughs> the kind that they did in that movie is not okay. <laughs> it, it was a di- different time. Different time, um, different time. Yeah, Dif- different time, different thing. Again, because it was kind of campy, you kind of have to take it that way. It's it, In a way, it's similar to Rocky Horror Picture Show, is like, in terms of filmmaking and, and storytelling, not necessarily the best story or movie in the world, but 
like you know the people who are making it are having fun and you can tell they're having fun as we were just talking about with um Dalt, timothy dalton like he's having fun and if you can have fun while you're making a movie and acting i think that goes a long way towards getting others viewers and other actors and, and everyone else involved to like it yeah i'm actually surprised this doesn't have more of a cult following like rocky horror which i think is actually a really good comparison it's almost like the rocky horror of superhero films mm-hmm. but i'm surprised at least on the coasts, like the New Yorks and LAs of the world, I'm surprised there's not more midnight screenings or costume party screenings or anything like that. Cause I feel like it's a very theatrical experience. I feel like if you did a revival of this at like Alamo or Nighthawk or somewhere, people would flock to it. Probably some people definitely would. And you know, it's queen is, does the soundtrack. So obviously some good uh, rocking moments there. Yeah. I guess that's a part of it too, is that they get this big stadium, um, band to do the music so it has this whole kind of like almost rock concert feel to the whole thing especially when they're flying in and then just the the guitar is wailing and it just feels like something that could still really work on a big screen totally i could i I could see it coming back and it would be fun to see it with others in a in a big screen screening room like that let's petition damn it let's write to alamo let's write to nighthawk Let's write to Arclight and AMC. Let's get that letter campaign going, guys. Probably not Arclight anymore. I don't think they're around. Oh, I sad. You know what? I blocked out the memory of the fact that they closed because I miss them so much. Because yeah, I mean, well, you should. It's it's sad. It's very sad. But we're not talking about sad stuff. We're talking about happy stuff today. Um, actually, no. This might this next question might be like a little bit sad. One thing that I found in my interwebs research, which I found very interesting, is there were a lot of articles published in 2017 when the sequel to Guardians of the Galaxy came out and Matthew Vaughn's sequel to The Kingsman Golden Circle came out. Apparently, Vaughn had signed on to do a remake of Flash Gordon a while ago with one of the studios, I'm not sure which one, but apparently ever since Guardians of the Galaxy had come out, it became really, really hard to try, to try and get a Flash Gordon remake out in the open and up for production because they thought pretty much every producer and every person who could greenlight it and give it the support it needed thought it was too similar. Do you, I mean, you talked about how the movies are different, but do you think they're similar enough that it would really be hard for audiences to feel like they could just enjoy both films as their own thing? I don't know if that'd be hard for audiences because... Hollywood, I don't think, gives uh, audiences enough credit. I think it there were too similar for the execs to want to say yes to something mm, because you have yeah. this big space opera in Guardians. You've got, uh, right around that time, the new Star Wars movies were coming out. I think there was also a, um, a, a Fantastic Four movie, which is also superheroes in space, partly, uh, oh, in the yeah, works yeah. at that time, too. So there were just so many... Oddly, those are all owned by Disney. Huh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was just a little bit of a retro, uh, little reflective moment right there. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Um, I just think there were too many like space things in a roughly similar time frame for a, a known property, but one that isn't owned by Disney. Uh, who would have the rights to it? And I'm wondering, does WB have some sort of space 
hero even in I know uh what they were trying to get i think the comic is called new gods but they were trying to do kind of i know it's not technically space but i guess i think of asgard as in space but they were trying to get some yeah. sort of eternals-esque movie out there and ava duvernay was attached to direct and for some mm-hmm. reason it just got tossed in the wastebasket for whatever reason. I also feel like maybe if I was a little more educated in DC lore, I would know one or two niche characters. There's Martian Manhunter, who I believe is part of the Justice League. And obviously Superman, as we talked about, is from space. And Green Lantern obviously does a lot of stuff in space. I don't remember when the Green Lantern film came out, but like you've the the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern film. So you've got all these kind of space movies mm-hmm. with the probably the two biggest studios of superheroes already partly of like who would buy it and who would distribute it if you don't have disney or wb involved yeah that's a very good point you know it's interesting because what the list of space stuff all coming out around the same time that you were just mentioning it mm-hmm. did also make me think of the fact that people are totally fine with the fact that there's like multiple batmans out there so you know, there's George Clooney, Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, Adam West, the late Adam West, if you want to include him in that canon. Now Robert Pattinson. And I think in the new Flash movie, they're including both Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck as like multiverse Batman. So it does bring up an interesting idea that like people are cool with different versions of the same thing. You just have to do them well, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we're not fatigued by space movies. We've been watching space movies since movies were invented, basically. So, you know, we want to see superheroes. We want to see space stuff. We just want to see it done well. A trip to the moon. Technically a space movie. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I do wonder if the fact that there's all of these multiverse movies coming out, it does make a little bit more room for very similar movies to be coming out at the same time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ooh, this is, this is an unapproved question. So feel free to like ooh, not answer ooh. it if you don't want. For context for you lovely listeners, usually I like to send my guests the questions just a couple of days in advance so they know what we're talking about. But this is a hot button question that I didn't send on the list. <gasps> I think at least a year or two ago, what I heard was that Taika Waititi is doing an animated version of Flash Gordon for either Disney Plus or just a regular theatrical release. If that wasn't going on, is there a director working now that you think would be a great fit for a Flash Gordon remake? No offense, Matthew Vaughn. Ooh. I would have to think about this quite hard and do some research into directors. Because, <laughs> That's okay. uh, because superhero space movies were not the directors I have been looking at recently. But you'd have to find the right mix. Like Edgar Wright has said that the original Flash Gordon is one of his favorites. So it would be super interesting to see an Edgar, Edgar Wright version of Flash Gordon. Ooh. Because he does the, the campy comedy drama really well. Uh, so I, I would have to go with him as my just first top of my head uh, person. I agree with that, especially after watching. And those are very different movies. But I think of watching Last Night in Soho. And I think the thing that kind of links that with Flash Gordon, even though they're really different movies, is that they're both very much world setting movies. And I don't know if he works with like the same production designer every time or anything like that, but you know, when you're in the 60s and Last Night in Soho, you're like in the 60s. And I think he 
only made that movie for about $40 million and it looks really beautiful and everything, you know, the money shows up on the screen. So if he had like, you know, a Flash Gordon of Disney or WB budget, I could only imagine what he would do with that world building. And you're right. I think he also knows how to balance camp and drama and like big epic theatrical moments. So, ooh, I feel like it'd be him or... And I would have to do a little research into this too. I feel like a really good music video director mm-hmm. that like knows how to work with both music and really strong visuals would be a great fit for a remake. Because if people know one thing about the Flash Gordon movie, it's the Flash, or like you know, even just the fact that like Queen does the soundtrack. So exactly, yeah. I don't know. And, maybe we'll like yeah. do an do an amended version of this episode where we come back after doing some research. But I think I'm going to go with Edgar Wright as well. I'm going to copy your homework. Cheater, cheater. <laughs> <laughs> At least I'm being honest about copying. Yeah, you're being homework. honest. And I actually, oddly, um, Peter Jackson came to mind as we were talking about this too, uh, for some odd reason. I don't know if he Ooh. actually. Li- I don't know if he likes uh, Flash Gordon, but like his attention to detail for things seems like it would be a, a very useful trait to have for Flash Gordon so that you could have the, the I imagine there would be some detail in, in the hawk wings that mean something significant to the characters. And for some reason, he just came to mind, too, as, as someone who could balance humor and, and the drama. Although knowing him, he'd probably turn it into two or three movies. That's true. That's true. We'd get like a whole backstory about the people who made the wings and like the first family to put on the wings. That is an interesting choice because I also feel like we really don't see a lot of comedy at all from Peter Jackson. But yeah, I, no. I, I like that. Oh, who is the person? I think a dark horse choice would be Hiro Mirai, who probably is most well known for directing Atlanta, who's also directed episodes of Barry and a couple of other things. And probably, excuse me, and probably his most well-known music video is This Is America. And I guess mm-hmm. I thought of that because for Barry, he knows how to direct comedy. Atlanta as well, he knows how to direct comedy. And I think also with his music video work, it'd be interesting to see because he usually works with like very grounded, very real world, visually interesting, but sparse landscapes like the parking lot in This Is America. It'd be really interesting to see what he would do with like big colors, crazy costumes, kind of like big everything. It'd be really interesting to see if there's a really stark contrast between material and director, or if it's kind of like, he just blossoms like a flower that was meant to do this the whole time. I'm not familiar with that director, so I'll just have to trust you. Yeah, if you watch um, Atlanta or Barry. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen, I've obviously seen some Barry. I haven't yeah. caught up onto Atlanta yet. So I'll just have to, to trust your... Um, Instincts Just on that trust one. me, sir. You've trusted me. Yep. You've trusted me so far. <laughs> um, our last and final question: Where do you see superhero and space movies, and specifically space movies, going now that you know there's in probably twenty years going to be like commercial flights to Mars, and space is becoming a much closer place than we ever could have imagined? Uh, part of me thinks there's going to be some um, more grounded space movies of understanding or coming to the realization like there's aliens out there and coming to terms with the aliens uh like first contact almost like an interstellar type movie Mm -hmm. um, but actually having aliens because in 
in Flash and uh, Gordon and in Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, there's aliens and like there's no uh, there's no wonder about them. They're just they're part of the universe. But humans, yeah, yeah. If we if we do actually encounter them, it's gonna be a big deal. I couldn't even process the idea of like actually seeing an alien. I think the closest equivalent would probably be Arrival. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Video, actually, like, yeah. So beyond our understanding, but yeah, that'd be interesting to see, like a grounded Martian Manhunter movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I, part of me thinks that, but also part of me thinks uh, just going to get more spectacular because, you know, we've, we've had the whole gamut of superheroes in space, everything from Star Wars to um, Guardians of the Galaxy, where Star Wars didn't have, I was going to say Star Wars didn't have aliens, and I realized what I was talking about for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking Star Trek. No, Star uh, I'm sure there are some space movies that don't have aliens. Interstellar obviously doesn't have them. Gravity doesn't have them. But, you know, there's there's some humans visiting distant worlds with no aliens to, yeah, sure, we're just we're just part of uh, a cantina. You know, we're all having drinks together. Yeah, like a, whatchamacallit, like a small indie Sundance movie that just happens to be filmed and take place on Mars or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be, uh, you know, us and the aliens are reaching Mars at the same time trying to trans- or terraform it. You know, the, the battle to terraform Mars. You heard this here f- for me, folks. This is my idea. No, uh, no copy. Copyright to Colin Lieberg. <laughs> copyright to Colin Lieberg. Oh, wait, I can't. Uh, I, I actually can't copyright a log line or anything. Oh, that's true. But you heard it from him fo- first. You heard it from him first. He gets co- He gets some sort of damn credit. One last question I thought of, again, not on the list, capital T, capital L, the list, but now that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, as we record this, I believe just wrapped production and it's going to be, at least as we know of, it's going to be the last of the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy. Mm-hmm. Do you think once that trilogy ends, we will get a Flash Gordon remake? Or do you think it, the moment's just passed? I think you would need the right director and the right interest in it. So, I mean, I'm never going to say never with, with Hollywood being, ooh, this is IP, let's remake it. Uh, <laughs> it's very possible, but there's going to have to be some interest from a lot of different people wanting to do it. So, and I don't know if that interest is there from actors or directors mm-hmm. uh, or not. Last hard hitting question of this recording session Where can we find you on the interwebs? Uh, I am on Twitter at ColinLieberg.com, and that's at C-O-L-L-I-N-L-I-E-B-E-R-G. So, yeah, at Colin Lieberg on on the Twitter. We will post all of those links in the description below. Colin, thank you so much for stopping by and having this wonderful conversation about... I was about to say about me. Oh, my God. How vain am I? Thanks, Carly Simon. Thanks, Carly Simon. (laughs) Colin, thank you so much for stopping by and talking with me about all these films. I really appreciate it. And I will see you at the next Mixer. Yes, hopefully to see you there. And I'm looking forward to it. And that's our episode. I want to thank Colin again for coming on the show and having a very, very fun conversation about superheroes in space. Tune in next week when we talk with some old friends of the show, Alex Kalagianis and Richard Storm of Film Class Zeros. And we talk with them about the bad guys of doing good. That's right, we're taking a look at anti-heroes on screen. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And as always, keep watching movies. 
See you next time. So here we are. A thief, two thugs, an assassin, and a maniac. But we're not going to stand by as evil wipes out the galaxy. I guess we're stuck together. Partners. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check back every Tuesday for new episodes and be sure to check us out on our Patreon page where you can support the show and get some really cool exclusive stuff for doing it. Special thanks to John F., Feriolo Fencing, LLC, Mariano Dwyer, and Helen Rafferty. For news on upcoming episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Girl Presses Play. The show is written, produced, and hosted by Alana Rafferty. Intro music is composed by Asha Iwanowitz, and our logo design is by Mark Sauve. Thanks again. See you next time. Girl presses play.